My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. All right. Today on the Wonder Dome, I've got my dear friend, the inspiring Edie Pasales. Uh, Edie is a mindfulness teacher, a yoga teacher, uh, a leadership practitioner. She is a faculty member at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. And she's also uh, wonderfully the person who arguably gave me my first job in this world of leadership development that I inhabit pretty robustly now. Um, before the pandemic, Edie was the program director for a program out of Kripalu called Rise, which was uh, Kripalu's approach to mindfulness brought into high-stress, high-stakes organizations like first responders, healthcare providers, educators, and uh, I was trying to find my way. And I knew, like, ah, oh, it'd be so cool to do this and to work at Kripalu, and I know I could do it well. Um, and Edie said, yeah, you could do it well and hired me as part of the team. Uh, the program has changed and shifted quite a lot since the pandemic, but it's still existing. Uh, my prior guests, Sam Chase and uh, Monique Schubert are both very intimately involved. That's how I met both of them. So Edie opened this doorway so generously and beautifully into a world that has changed my life and also changes many others. Uh, right now, Edie is stepping more fully into, at this phase of her life and journey, and at this phase that we're in collectively, what, what's the offering that um, is really needed that no one's offering? So that's what we explore today in our conversation. Edie takes me into the world of, of menopause and what we, what the kind of common narrative of menopause is and sort of how isolating and sort of um, pathologizing that can be, that you have some kind of sickness that needs to be managed if you're an older woman who's going through menopause. And Edie's here to say like, nope, this is a deep moment of mystery. This is a deep uh, place of physical change, but also um, an, a springboard for spiritual growth, for identity redevelopment, for sourcing meaning and purpose at, at this phase of life. So I really learned so much from Edie just about the ways in which the, the conventional narrative around menopause is actually deeply harmful for a lot of women, and by extension, deeply harmful for all of us as a society, because it doesn't leverage the opportunity that's there, it doesn't honor it, it doesn't acknowledge, even acknowledge it, and it can be, um, can take 
these human beings, elder women who are navigating this phase in their life, who have so much wisdom and sort of push them off to the side. It's really a tragedy, actually. And, and I love how Edie is standing again in the same way that she did for me and so many others saying like, I see what maybe others haven't seen yet. And I want to invite you in. And in this case, the you is anyone who's entering the phase of the life where they're, where, where we call what we call menopause and, uh, and Edie sees you and is inviting you in. And so if that's you dig into this one, this is a great conversation. And if it's not you, well, then you know someone in your life who it is, um, a partner, a parent, a close friend, a colleague. So listen in as well. Let yourself get educated in the way that I was able to. It was really inspiring. All right. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Edie has for us. Okay, Edie, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you. So nice to see you here. It's wonderful to be here. It's yeah. wonderful to see you here. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I I, uh, I have the good fortune with this platform to talk to lots of really beautiful people, many of whom I haven't ever met before, which is kind of a neat thing. But then also it's fun to talk to people who I have met before, uh, who I count as a friend and as a colleague. And, and also really, uh, I want to sort of publicly celebrate that the journey that I've been on as a, as a coach, as a facilitator, as a mindfulness teacher, uh, as a leadership practitioner, like a, a, a lot of that I can trace back to the conversation we had at Kripalu, where I was like, I really want to be a RISE facilitator. I hope this works out. And we and you were interviewing me for that that role at the time, uh, kind of pre-pandemic. And so thank you. Like that, that you saying yes to me, you seeing that potential in me, uh, just started a cascade of possibilities, at least as I, at least as I understand, you know, as I look back on my own experience, that's how it feels to me. Wow. That's an honor. <laughs> mm. Mm. So thank you for that. And I remember that moment and it was so obvious your capacity. So. Cheers. Cheers. I'm, I'm lifting my tea, tea glass to, and cheers. <laughs> so um, you have also, you know, the we the, so much of our collective worlds over the past few years has gone through some some sort of seismic tremors and there's there's energy kind of pulling us backwards towards things that maybe we'd be much better served letting go of and there's energy pulling us forward towards possibilities some of which are quite exciting some of which are quite scary um but, you know, one thing, the reason I'm presencing all that is, is this program that you had helped bring into being, the RISE program, which then got shuttered for a period of time as Kripalu closed down its, phys its physical facilities during the pandemic and just so much like adaptation and adjustment. It's really cool that it's open again now as of, you know, July 2023 and RISE has taken on sort of a new form and there's lots of good stuff to celebrate. But that period of time was a real contraction. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and what I've seen from afar with you is you've emerged out of that 
with a real kind of clarity of energy and purpose around transformational work, around leadership, particularly for women. And and now most recently, particularly for women who are going through menopause, like there's some some kind of like real focusing in that your energy has undergone over the past few years. Is that, how's that, does that feel true for you? feels very true. It feels very true. And I, I appreciate the fullness of that context because, um, uh, you know, a moment that I remember in my late twenties, in my work, when I, I was like, I just wasn't in the right place doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that um, I wasn't committed to something and that that was actually the problem, that it was my ambivalence. It was my my own inner hesitancy about what I was about. And so I asked myself the question, um, if I could commit to anything at this point, what like what would it be? Mm. And in that moment, mm. it was yoga. And mm. so yoga became the foundation and the the path forward. I had no idea what shape that would take, um, but the shape that the the sort of underlyingness of that was actually I gave myself to the kind of unfolding of the creative process, right? Because for me, that's what yoga really is. It's the like um, paying attention to what's here, coming into relationship to what's here, and then surrendering to what we know about what's here. And that that cycle drives um, an unfolding of life. You know, you asked me actually in the little moment before, um, you know, in this in the quiet moment we had before we put the record button on uh, about my my marriage, and um, bef- so I am married to Candace, my wife, and we will be married nineteen years this year. And before I was in love with Candace, before I knew that I loved Candace, I had always been in relationship with men, hmm. and so for me this this commitment to yoga is a commitment to the aliveness, to the transformation, to the unfolding of life. And, and it has been, I've held that in a very general way through all the 20 plus, I'm not, I don't know how many years I've been involved <laughs> in this practice. And, um, and, you know, with rise and at Kripalu in that era, it was really around responding to needs in organizations with frontline professionals and bringing the kind of basic practices to to bear for, mm-hmm. to support this kind of transformation mm-hmm. and then with the pandemic it became um like oh i have to go back and continue to live this for me i had a big pause big big pause at the with the pandemic my whole life my work life exploded and so I kind of lived into that uh, and kept using that yogic um, three-part practice that's, you know, pay attention, what's here, get really clear about what's here and then surrender to what's here. Mm-hmm. And that, just staying with that over the past couple of years uh, and staying open has brought me to this like, oh, this, I really want to help 
the narrative around the menopausal transition to be one of growth and development, not necessarily one of um, kind of managing of symptoms, right? There's a, mm-hmm. there's a aliveness that can happen in this that that builds on the kind of aliveness that yoga helps us grow and that whether whatever context as leaders, as you know, in every in every context. And so um certainly, certainly it I lived through my own menopausal transition, right? I uh, and used yoga to navigate that. And I'm using, continue to use yoga and this philosophy to kind of live into whatever comes next. Um, hmm. I guess that's, that's a, my first response to what you Yeah. Yeah. It's gorgeous. There's, I think there's at least three things in there that I want to slow down on. There is okay. the, the moment when you like, or maybe the moment, the moments preceding the moment when you had the insight that you mm-hmm. needed to make a commitment. There is the, the, your description of yoga, which feels so true to me, but also not necessarily one I hear a lot mm-hmm. as sort of a process for listening to like a creative process, listening to the life and responding to life and participating to life. So I'd love to unpack that uh, a bit as a practice cool. and, and, and then maybe we can arrive where you are now in this moment uh, and and unpack this beautiful invitation you've just made to anyone listening to say, hey, you might have a story in your head about what menopause is. And if you're a woman who's in particular, if you're a woman who's approaching that phase in your life, you might have some fears or you might have some sort of symptom management approach to it. And you're like, no, I want to invite you to a totally different story. So like, let's let's make sure not to lose that moment that you're at now. But feels like some of the stuff that got you here is really worth uh, opening up a bit because I, I I'll speak for myself around the, like I have my own version of which maybe I've talked about on this, on the, in the wonder dome a few times of being in a role that for me actually on paper was the role I was quote unquote supposed to be in. And it had a, it had a purpose attached to it. In a way that, and I was having my version of like, this just doesn't feel right. But I had fears, you know, I need the money. I know this is a good mission, like stick with it. But no, something else going, no, this is really not, I'm not, even if this is a good mission, I'm not the right person for it. So I was having this kind of inner struggle around how to navigate that. And I would love to hear like, Maybe you could share a bit about that time for you. I know it's for you, it feels like perhaps a long time ago, but it sounds like a really formative moment where you were just sensing that something was off. And then at some point you realized it was this commitment piece. How did, like, how for you were you noticing that something was off and what what was it like for you to work that and live through that? Um, So I think you're, Question number one and question number two come together in this because um, uh, practice of yoga is part of what helped me know that. Mm. It's part like I, I, I was like, oh, I'm anxious all the time. Like in the work that I'm doing, I'm I, like I'm physically not uh, in a. Um, in an engagement state, I'm in a fight or flight state. Right? Like I came to know the difference in those two states in my body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and be able to feel that. And so the the practice of yoga was that that first step is part of what helped me 
like, oh, like, yes, I have this job. Yes, as you say, on paper, it's the right thing. Um, but it doesn't feel right. It does like I'm not uh, I'm not thriving here as mm. Mm. This thing, and then um, the the second step, this kind of inquiry, like really paying attention to my story about what's happening and what what is going on in the inner landscape. So it's not just oh, I'm in fight or flight state. It's like oh, there's a story happening here. There's uh, some desires here. There is. Um, some resistance here and being able to see that more clearly, like, um, and I have to, I have to confess that I, that I, I'm trying to remember way back. I actually yeah. like sitting on the floor. I remember I was sitting on the floor actually at the dining room table, kind of over the dining room chair being like, Oh, I just, I, this, you know, like I could feel that kind of despair about how it was. And then, and then it was the, like, but it doesn't have to be this way, you know? And so um, the seeing through the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say the story, you sort of, you mean like in a, maybe in a sense that there's some part of you that thought it just, this is the way it is. It has to be this way. Yeah. And some awareness came in and went, no, yeah, no, sweetie. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Right. You don't have to do what you think you should do. Like yeah. the should is just, Oh yeah. Yeah. Letting, mm-hmm. letting go of that should. And um, yeah, I think that's actually seeing through that, the should is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're in the kind of the open field of potential and possibility. And that is another moment for me. And, and it, you know, the, in the yoga practice to come back to the body. Like, so what, what's calling, what's moving me? What's, what's, what's the, yeah. and like, like literally what's moving me, right? Yeah. Like to really see that the body can be a, the yeah. an expression it will move in ways that that tell you what's moving you yes yes exactly and uh it was so clear in that moment this like oh this is it's yoga um and i attribute that to to a kind of knowing right because it you know i'm i'm talking about it from the body and it is we could call that gut instinct. We could call that body wisdom. But I always think that when we get underneath the mind, we are opening to um, a kind of knowing that's wiser than we can think up. <laughs> and that is really, for me, the practice of yoga is attuning to that knowing. Mm. And um, I think... Yeah, I'll just go ahead. Well, I'm I'm wondering if this connects. You alluded, but didn't fully articulate the sort of three the three yogic practices, like the attention and the surrender. And right. I sense there's from that 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 knowing is somewhere in that mix. So maybe you could just unpack that a bit. So perhaps there's someone listening to this who's leaning over their dining room chair, going, "Ah, oh, like how to." <laughs> Because uh, I like, again, I had my version of that where I was just I was going into the I would go for these long walks in the wood and my nervous system woods and my and my nervous system was so dysregulated. And I just was like, for me, it was great. I was it was the middle of winter. So no one else was out. And I found this boulder I would keep coming back to and I would just scream just like, yes. ah, 
<laughs> and like at some point, just letting out that energy without needing to put put language around it allowed me to settle somewhat so that I could start to listen. And the voice that came in for me, I heard a voice just come out of myself. It's like, I just need something true. Just need something true. Yeah. I just need something true. Mm. Right. And so that was like, I just, that, that, then I heard myself say that. I'm saying, even as I say it now, I can feel my body kind of like, oh, like sort of, I sit up straighter, but also relax more. And it's like, right. Thank God I listened to that. And it was, I mean, it wasn't easy. And I had a lot of privilege that allowed me to, to maybe make some moves. So I want to honor that, that also there's, there are real systemic pressures that, yes. that yes. are here, but, the, but there is that moment I sense that all of us at least have the potential of like hearing ourselves feel or say something true and then choosing to listen to it. And maybe you could talk about that, that knowing that you're alluding to. So you, at the beginning that you asked specifically about um, yoga, the the kind of three stages of yoga, at Kripalu specifically, we talk about three stages of yoga. Uh, I see that as rooted in Patanjali's Kriya Yoga, three stages, which is different than the eight-limbed path. So for, for the yoga geeks out there, um, uh, the, the Kriya Yoga is the three parts. First, tapas, which is sacred discipline which is uh, corresponds to Kripalu's first stage, which is really what do you, what is initiating your care? What, what, what do you care about more than being comfortable? Like what, mm, mm. what are you willing, what, what are you willing to, to um, put your energy and effort toward like, and your attention. And that's a very particular kind of, kind of question. It's not, um, it's not like oh I want to be uh, the CEO or whatever. It's a it's it's a sacred discipline, right? Um, and then the second stage, the second is svadhyaya or investigation, self reflection, taking time to, um, and it does take time. And this is one of the things I think is really hard to open to these d- different layers of knowing, like. Uh, here's what I think about something. Here's what I feel. Here's what I sense in the body. Here's what I hear when I get really quiet. Here's what I just know. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that you had Stephen Cope on your on your on the Wonder Dome um, a while ago, and Stephen Cope was one of my most seminal teachers. And um, he talks a lot about the the buddhi mind, the kind of transpersonal awareness, this quality of witness consciousness. Like you can drop in and just know something and you don't know how you know it but you, but it's true as you say mm. um mm. um and for me what that means is that we don't have to figure it out by ourselves yeah just like, we're just in a- as you said that i'm like something was clicking for me so i want to like co-sign like one way i i know that i i'm not in knowing yet is that i have real a lot of activity trying to figure it out right and i like want to honor like that we have this beautiful mind that can be quite strategic and can kind of imagine different possibilities best cases worst like there's all of this this wonderful utility to our minds but it also is noisy yeah 
So just the, there's a way in which the, this paradox of the knowing is that there's just suddenly nothing to figure out. It's right. at, at the very least, the next step is as clear as anything. Right. So just the next direction is clear. Right. And this shift from the busy mind to the knowing is really, um, for me anyway, it's a shift of being alone to being in the field of belonging. You know, it's mm. like, oh, it's like, yeah, a, the world is alive. We are alive together. Aliveness is unfolding. Like, I don't have to make the river. The river is happening. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So. Hmm. Hmm. Gorgeous. So, so recently you're sitting, you, you've now cultivated this practice for a couple decades. You're, you're moving in this direction towards leadership work really clearly. And in your practice, some, some light, some knowing comes up that says like, actually in particular, there's a work I want to do with women who are in menopause. And there's a, there's a new story that I, there's a truer story that I sense needs to be told about that as a, as a phase of life. How did that, how did that show up for you? Um, after I left my, my sort of full-time leadership role at, at Kripalu because of the pandemic, I, open to this mystery of what's coming next, you know, and I, I had the privilege of uh, what I think of as a COVID sabbatical to, to take some space and let the past, um, the echo of all the work I had been doing kind of soften so that I could sink into what's, what's true now. And um, realized that, um the core of my work the core is the holding space for people is is not the actual leadership of an organization but is this um like being being faculty being holding group space mm. and so and I, so I was like who like what's what am i sharing in this group space who am i holding in this group space like and so um have been I feel like I've been on a buffet or had been on a buffet of of exploration like oh there's uh I had the invitation to develop and lead silent retreats at Kripalu and um then leadership retreats and then some more specific yogic leadership retreats and now um we'll be doing women's retreats as well specifically around this menopausal transition but as I was in this kind of taster time, I was in discernment, like, is leadership, is like, do I really care about leadership? Do I really want to make ceremony? Like, what, like, which parts of me want to come out? Like, what? Mm. And, and in this, what, um, you know, if, if we say, like, what are we committing to? I was listening to what am I, what am I committing to in this time? And what I, what I realized for me was that actually I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to have to choose. I wanted to be able to say yes. And, and so um, there's something about this doorway of menopause that for me is a yes. And it's a like meeting people, meeting women, particularly uh, who are at a moment of great, power in their lives of of leadership of 
um, whether that's in their family life or in their work life, there's there's a lot to harvest around the the making and the doing and the offering into the mm. world. Mm. And, and also the opening of um, this conversation around menopause also just like just opens up a kind of intimacy that's that's uh, in some ways for me the antidote to some of the conversations we have around leadership, which are you know can be the external like what are we doing? It's like oh god, but but the the menopause just opens this this more vulnerable more um body emotions peace and it also calls forth this part of me that really honors sacred ritual because mm. it is a real threshold it is a real um uh transformational developmental time a, a, an identity shift a real like oh you know it takes time, but it is an identity shift that's very powerful that I, that, yeah, I want to mark and help people mark with mm. Mm. as well. So it, it, I'm like, okay, so I can, I can work in the leadership sphere. I can work in this kind of holistic person sphere. And then it's also this sacred time as well. I'm like, I, this, it's a doorway for me. Mm. So that's, that's the, that, that was really from the, um, that's the, uh, I don't know, maybe that's my rationalization because, but, but what I will say was behind that is this, the menopausal transition is so profound. It is so messy. It's so challenging and the growing drumbeat in our world is around softening, managing the symptoms. Like, mm, mm. like, and and I, I, you know, m- much of my work has been around self care. So I'm not, a, I'm not, uh, I don't want to say no, don't manage your symptoms. <laughs> like that's not the story. But what I want to do, like, what feels so important to me, what is this? What? Don't lose the gift of this time mm, mm, because, mm. And, and, and in fact, it becomes very personal because um, like uh, when I, when I hear for me, the, uh, the encouragement to try, for example, hormone therapy or to think of the, these um, experiences which many people call symptoms, right? Experiences as something to push away. It makes it makes me furious because it feels like it's taking away my voice. Mm. I'm like, mm. like, no, I'm not going to be nice anymore. I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to stay in the box that you want me to stay in, right? I am like, no, don't nice. like. So, so for me, the story, the the subtext of the hormone therapy. And I know everyone has like, everyone has their own situation. I'm not against hormone therapy, but what I am against is that primary story of like, just calm down. Mm. Like, no, Mm. no, Mm. this is like, let's not lose our voices. And I don't want to lose my voice. So that's kind of that anger is what is (laughs) <laughs> pushing me forward and then the story about yeah and it lets me do all the things i want to do is kind of the the cover for that but i'm like 
I'm like, don't you dare silence me. Wow. Uh, (laughs) I want to honor like the way in which the, there's maybe some at the cover story level, there's this nice, like, Oh, like all of these different desires (laughs) in me suddenly have a, like, they all get met. Cool. And then underneath that, there's this deep, I mean, I, I can see you, people listening once you, but the way that you sort of sat up straighter, the like energy of your body is you said, no. Right. No. Yeah. And I'm remembering actually, we, uh, we were at the next practice Institute mm. and we sat at lunch together one day with um, a husband and wife duo who were teaching kind of a systems thinking, but you know, you were vibing with the women. I can't remember her name. And, and you both apparently had been recently thinking about these sort of, archetypes and I'm not like a expert on the archetypes so I don't remember all of the different ones but you know things like the wizard and the king and and the maiden and and you were talking you two were talking about the maiden and the crone archetypes and and there was some really wonderful energy between you two as you went like I'm not a like I'm not a crone why am I like you had like been to some women's retreat and 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 there was the beautiful like some a beautiful intention around you know, the, the, that archetype, the, the, the wisdom, the depth, the earthiness, but you said, no, like, that's not me. And, and the other woman said, yeah, of course there's the archetype of the queen. Yes. The queen. And, and both of you are just like, kind of, and I feel a sense of that's what you're tapping into again, that, that you are saying to, to women in this phase of their life, this is time to be in your queenhood. This is time to step into that. Is that, is that true for you? Oh, yes. And um, uh, so I just want to pause and sort of own and welcome Crone as well. I'm not, I, <laughs> so, cause I celebrate, I celebrate Crone and I, and Crone is typically older than the perimenopausal, like this 45 to 60, uh, transition time. And, um, the the queen feels like a um uh, a celebration of power that is still kind of um able to engage with the world rather than like crone is so often seen as like sitting in a hut and if you want some wisdom you go to her and you you, know, you get a little wisdom and she's wise right but there's but there but queen still wields power mm-hmm. and so that i want to really um uh, lift that up. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I thank you for slowing down that. I, I want to co-sign on that. Like I didn't hear in that conversation, a complaint about the crone archetype, although we could like a part of me wants to go like, yeah, there's a way in which from a sort of masculine archetypal energy, I can feel parts of me kind of look towards the crone and, and be disdainful of it and sort of to try and diminish it, try and diminish that, you know, and to say, oh yes, you're the one who goes in the hut. And it's like, I'm sure there are Many women who are who might identify with that archetype is a much more uh, alive and powerful in its own right as well, right? Because that's yeah. one of the that's one of the possibilities in the menopausal tra- uh, transition is freedom. We um, because some of the things like uh, you know worrying about what people how how we look or um, caring for others to the de- to the detriment of ourselves which are part of the story of woman right in mm-hmm. call it reproductive years um you, you can be you you can be free of those when, mm-hmm. when but but 
you don't get free of them just by getting older. You get free of them by by grieving what you're losing, by embracing the power that's in that freedom. And um, it's it's inner work mm-hmm. to get to that. It's, it's, so I really want to celebrate the, the potential and the necessity of the inner work of this time. Yeah. yeah. Let, let's talk about that more because I, I sort of, I'll admit a quite a bit of ignorance here. I, I have had a couple of women in my life who have navigated to the extent they feel that they have navigated it or, or in, in it. And mm-hmm. from like, I guess a couple of things are happening. One from where I sit there again, this is like, you know, data of one or two people here, their experience of it seems to be not very pleasant. Like they seem frustrated. They seem, you know, irritated. They wish kind of wishing, a wishing it away, a wishing it to get through it. It's so disruptive. Um, and from where I sit as someone who has only seen a few people experience this and has mostly just heard of bits and pieces from our cultural narrative, it sort of is like, yeah, like what's actually going on in there? And and how, what you're saying to me feels like very different than most of pretty much everything I've absorbed, which again, I'm claiming a lot of ignorance. I don't know how much I've actually absorbed, but what I have absorbed lands me in a place where I don't have a very positive association with menopause. It seems to me like a kind of unfortunate another unfortunate step in in nature's betrayal of the woman's body or another kind of moment where in our society, women are said, okay, you know, go deal with that in private, please. Like it's a, it's a lot there and you're, you're going, nope. So maybe I'm hearing the nope, but what is there that's not in the, the conventional story? Can you take us into that physiologically, emotionally? What's the inner work that's possible? Yeah. So thank you for um, naming the kind of cultural norm around menopause, even to the point of um, saying it feels like another like horrible thing that women have to go through uh, in private. And I, I, part of what I want to do and I'm going to do here is reframe that story because this, if we, if we think back to the beginning of our conversation around the, what the power of yoga as transformation, right? This is a cyclical unending sort of birthing and dying, birthing and dying that we learn how to do through practice. Men and women learn how to do, we do it with our breath, right? Each breath, there's a there's a birthing and a dying. And in a woman's body, there's a birthing and a dying. There's a cycling that's happening in all those reproductive years where if you think about the power of creation, right? It's being embodied. And it's a very different narrative of creation than what we might call a more masculine, linear, like better, more, faster, bigger, right? Mm. And so um, the if we change the narrative around menopause from one of like, oh, that's just a big pain in the ass, 
to like, oh my gosh, this is an initiation for wielding creative power. Mm. This is a visceral, physical experience of meeting intensity, of letting go, of um, feeling the interconnection of body, heart, spirit, mind, right? It's a whole, it's a whole body, it's a whole being transformation, right? You don't get away with like, oh, I'm just having hot flashes, right? It's, it's, um, it's a, uh, and so in like, can we value that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than, and, and so, and we know that the story we have around an experience shapes how we experience something, Mm -hmm. right? So you're thinking like, oh, I'm having hot flashes and it's embarrassing because now everyone's going to know how old I am. Then it, it has more misery than like, oh, I'm having hot flashes. And this is part of this forge that is helping me do hmm. something more powerful, hmm. right? Hmm. And hmm. helping me face our mortality, helping me face the the requirement of death for birth like in the creative process right and um helping me see through the story of our culture that has made me think that um being nice and being pretty is valuable mm-hmm. And it goes away, right? <laughs> so, mm. Mm. yeah. And yeah. I'm aware, Andy, as I as I as we have this conversation of how how strongly I feel, um, and how at the beginning of this journey I am. You know, I have I, I have been through my own menopausal journey. I have uh, been studying with a teacher around this sort of woman awake practice. I have done a uh, certification to become a menopause informed coach, right? So Mm, I I know about the kind of physiological and mental and, you know, like all the the different kinds of symptoms and a variety of resources that can support people. But I'm also aware that um, I'm not, my energy isn't packaged here yet. I'm in the process of figuring out how to take this passion and make it something, you know, make it an offering, make it, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, everything from the retreats. So great. We're going to have menopausal support women's retreats to uh, specific leadership and menopause retreats, but also um thinking about education in the context of the workplace. Mm, like, mm. like what does it mean to like make, make explicit what happens during this time, which is um, significant. You know, you and I, we worked together for rise, uh, which really was about um, resilience in the context of burnout and stress. And so we made part of what we did together was make visible in the context of work, like, what happens when you're stressed? What happens mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. burnout? Right, and we we could think of this menopausal transition as a giant um, 
a giant wave, a giant stress intensity that nobody's talking about. That's mm-hmm. completely invisible. And so what happens when we just make it visible? Like how might that um, help people? Mm-hmm. How might that change? You know, there was a um, an article not too long ago, maybe three weeks, maybe a month ago in the New York Times about the research that the Mayo Clinic did about the cost to businesses of um, this this time frame because a quarter of of all people in the workplace are in the perimenopause menopausal transition. I mean, if you think about it, if you think half of the people in the workplace are women, you know, 20 to 60, 5, 70, I don't know, but you know, however we want to think about that, 60, 70. Um, and and that's actually I'm like I should think about what numbers I want to use there. See, that's yeah. another place. Yeah. You know, my I can feel my nascent. Um, but if you if and if you think that perimenopausal symptoms could easily start at 40, 45, like that's a lot of women who are who are in this transformational space in the context of work without any um container positive story network of holding and um i I just think we can change that Mm. Mm. so (laughs) it's beautiful i mean i want to honor the part of you that like feels some sense that this has to be i think you used the word packaged but Mm. the the sort of liquid potency of your energy around this right now Mm. in a way Mm. i I mean, I can only speak for myself. Also, I'll speak for myself first, which is I'm waking up to a possibility for like my relationships with women in my life or the organization I'm a part of for that I wasn't totally awake to until you and I had this conversation. And I'm getting, it's also helping me get in touch with all the ways in which this is going to feel a bit uh, tangential, I think, but I want to try and this, this feels like an important dot to connect. I've I've been learning, I've been getting really interested in um, kind of architecture and how we design space or don't design it. And uh, I recently read a little kind of bit about like uh, this architect asking the question, we look backwards in time at architectural periods and we go like, oh, this was this period. And the intentionality of like the ideology of this period was dot, 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 like whatever you can just go back a hundred years, a thousand years, and like we have a description. But the architect was looking around a lot of the spaces we build now and going like, what's the ideology of this of this uh apartment block? I don't see it. What it like what am I contributing to? What's mm-hmm. and the kind of insight that essentially the ideology is of like profit maximization. How do we squeeze out every bit of every cent of profit from this project? so that some few people can benefit the most from it and everyone else just kind of has to accept that like it's drab and there's no consideration to the sunlight and uh you know the wiring is cheap and the walls are thin and the window like just every the the stairways are outside like all the choices you can make that will be profitable and efficient i'm putting efficient in air quotes but really in the long run result in a very 
diminishing, dehumanizing experience that that we as the quote unquote consumer have to pay for. And I just I like feel you I feel like a connection here going like the ideology of like, oh, your physiological experience is inconvenient. It's inefficient. It's not profitable. Please deal with it in private. Thank you. Because yeah. we've got, you know, in this sort of way in which on on some level that's like from a profit driven level that, that of course that's you know, of course we would do that, especially from a kind of patriarchal profit-driven lens. But right. you're but there's a real case to be made that we are actually burying a lot of hidden costs to not only the individuals but the collective when we don't just create a space where the whole human can show up to their to where they live, to where they work to whatever age they are, to whatever part of their journey that they're on of birth and death that you pointed to. I mean, that's the world I, I want to live in. That's the world I want my daughters to grow up in. Not the, not the, not the, this is a problem and this is embarrassing world, but the, like, this is an incredible initiator, like initiation into your next phase of, of womenhood. Yeah. Like sign, yeah. sign me up for that world. <laughs> Thank you so much for naming that because, you know, this, this uh, ideology of productivity that we could say is, you know, part of patriarchy, white supremacy, like, it's all about, you know, do, do, do work, 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 get the most, as you say, squeeze the profit maximization, extractive. And that is so at odds with, with um, nature. Yeah. And, you know, the, the cyclical you know, each in the context of the year or the month or the the body, right? Everything is everything is in in cycle, and so this uh, for me, this uh, reframing is a kind of fuck you to the mm-hmm. that story that you're just that you're describing. Like, I don't want to live in that world either. Mm. I want to live in a world that is uh, where we are alive together, and mm. we are. Mm. Mm-hmm. allowed to grow and um change and and savor and discover and um let go of things and grieve things and yeah be in that kind of as you i think you said fluid unfold mm-hmm. that's yeah like that's what i want to bring to life you know one of the um one of the things that people used to say uh, around bringing mindfulness into the workplace is that it's um, it uh, it's like we're just trying to keep people quiet. We're just trying to calm people down enough that they can survive mm-hmm. the stress of the place. And I think there is a, a quality that's true about that. However, I also know that inviting people to be aware is also the most subversive thing mm-hmm. that we can do. Because once you've seen, like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think in this, like, I want people to see. So let's see this together. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I want to name maybe just to, just to bring a little more nuance to that last phase, like the, the beauty of the simple, subverses power of helping people pay more attention to what is. And I also want to honor that like one of our, one of the coping mechanisms I've seen in myself that I see in lots of people, maybe in everyone in a way is like 
our society is so complicated and so brutal and so dehumanizing in so many ways that that to there's a way in which I, I sort of what am I trying to say here? Like that awareness is always kind of just under the surface and there's so much work to pretend like it's not, you know, to sort of be the duck floating gracefully across the water while your legs are paddling like crazy underneath the water. And, and so that moment where we invite someone to be aware of it is also um, can feel very scary to the parts of that person who have been trying really hard not to look because they know if they look, that they're going to have to do something about it, that yeah. that they're going to have to face up to a, a deeply uh, extractive, exploitive system that's much bigger than they are as an individual and nevertheless find some agency in there and find a place where they're not so alone. And, you know, that's that can be the start of a very beautiful but also very disruptive uh journey of real like a lot of things will have to be to be let go of and die to emerge into whoever might be waiting on the other side of that yeah and it feels like we have begun that work as a culture with the 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 rising awareness from the pandemic and the visible social injustice that um surfacing uh, or surfacing into awareness for many people mm-hmm. in this time, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm kind of hoping to layer this, this you know into the mix. Like, yeah, let's 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 bring a shifting orientation around women, around our all of our bodies. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. So, Edie, with the with the kind of we're coming up. Uh, to our time boundary here. And okay. I feel, I feel like my, I have a f- felt sense of like, we've, we've really laid some beautiful groundwork for anyone who might hear this, this, hear you speak and go, Oh yeah, that's me. And I know you said this is still nascent and you've got, but you've got some, some stuff coming up. Like if, if I were hearing this and I wanted to, to go deeper with you, where would I go? How would I, where would I learn more? Or if people want to find out more about this pathway. So the the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, my website isn't up yet, <laughs> so that's so that's the always the landing page is is LinkedIn, and uh, I am launching um, this conversation at Kripalu and at other um, retreat centers. Um, and I, th- I think I'll just I'll just leave it there for now. Find me on LinkedIn, and uh, everything will be there. Lovely. As we come to a close, uh, I'd like to offer you the space to say anything else you want to say to feel complete for today. I think um, I want to I want to um, speak to how much is possible. Uh, and that we have the, we we have the tools um but that it, but that we don't yet have the infrastructure mm. um like we have like we have the um i don't know the practice 
the yoga practice. Um, I guess I also, I will also want to say that I think I'm speaking specifically to women who maybe already have a sense that the world isn't working and that practices like yoga and mindfulness show a different way. And so I particularly would like to invite those women to be in conversation to help co-create whatever Mm. might come to, um, to keep this new story alive and to help build the infrastructure to support the new that's coming. Mm. Thank you, Edie. I hope that, uh, I hope and trust that you and those women you've just spoken to will find your way to each other. And, um, yeah, thanks for, for being with me as I just got curious about this and being okay with a bit of my ignorance around it and, and really enlivening me for what it's worth with this new story and the potential that I see in it. Thank you, Andy. Um, I appreciate this opportunity to talk about it, uh, you know, in a way that feels like it's going to be so public, right? This is not just in my living room or with my clients. This is like, okay. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm putting a flag in the ground here. I'm right. so raised right. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, CD. And thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.